and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, like, subscribe, you know what to do. My guest today is Samuel Rhee, co-founder and CEO of Endowis, a Singapore-based wealth tech company. I spoke with Sam about Endowis' latest capital raise and the challenges of raising capital today, his use of the proceeds to help him grow into Hong Kong, his plans to disrupt private banking, but also trying to make ordinary pensions easier for all of us to figure out. Samuel Rhee, welcome to DigFinVox. Great to be here, Jane. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Endowis is uh, one of the leading wealth tech businesses in the region. Uh, I invited you on because you have some news about a, a recent raise, and we'll, we'll get into that. But really, just a, an exciting time, I think, for the wealth tech sector, in uh, both in your hometown of Singapore, as well as your growth market of Hong Kong, where I am. So wanted to you know, just a great excuse to get you on the program. Great. It's great to be here, as I said, James, and, you know, big fan. So, yeah, let's let's well, talk about fun stuff. Okay, well, let's, let's get straight into it. So, um, before you uh, helped found Endowis, you were, uh, for many years, um, 17 years plus, you were at Morgan Stanley Investment Management, and you worked your way up to running the whole thing for Asia, I, th I think, right, at one point. Um, so you have, uh, you know, huge experience in global asset management. So I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the the start of Endowis before we get into the future. Uh, and I'm sure you've told this before, but I'd like to understand what is it that you couldn't achieve uh, while you were at Morgan Stanley Investment Management uh, mm. that you had to create a startup to, to go do this? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, I think, you know, I had a wonderful first inning, as they as they call it, um, which was in traditional finance, institutional kind of business. Um, I was in the asset management side of Morgan Stanley most of the time. And so I ran money. So I was an investor, an institutional investor primarily because they didn't do retail. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I invested like sovereign wealth funds, uh, money, pension funds, endowments. Those were our clients. And my primary responsibility was investing in public markets as opposed to private. And also Asia emerging markets was my special specialization. Um, so I was a good investor, obviously, because I got promoted. And then I took on the chief investment officer role. And then I took on the CEO role for Morgan Stanley Investment Management across Asia, ran the business a little bit. Um, but always, you know, at the heart, I was an investor. And mm -hmm. uh, being an institutional investor, you get a lot of advantages. So you get access to great information, great access to management, uh, research, um, great advice, um, and then you get access to great products and you get it at institutional cost, which is really low. But then the moment I step away from my role and try to invest my own money in the retail space or even through private banks, you know, including Morgan Stanley, where I was, it was right. a completely different experience. And oftentimes I'm always frustrated with my own experience. So that's the first thing. Okay. Is that my own experience and the frustrations and likewise for my co-founder, Greg, um, who used to be at UBS and Grab after that. Um, and all of my colleagues, a lot of us have come together because of our own frustrations with the existing experience in the wealth industry um, and investing our own money. 
The second thing, though, is that I'm a very macro person, and you know, I, I'm very curious about developmental economics, the political economy of you know nations, and all of those things. And one of the things that I really honed in on um, was the, the the massive global pension crisis that you know societies are facing across developed and developing nations. And in Asia, that's front and center in every nation. So, you know, global pension crisis in which, and as an individual, it means, right, trying to solve our retirement adequacy problem. And I realized that there is no, no real, like, player in the business, um, whether it's traditional or new, digital or offline, who actually do a good job of that. So I felt there was a massive opportunity. And then in Singapore, we have some something called the Central Provident Fund. In Hong Kong, yes. we have the Mandatory Provident Fund, CPF, MPF, both are pretty bad experiences, to be honest, right? Um, and, you know, outcomes have been poor. So we thought that this was a unique moat business that we can build technology around. Previously, there has never been an end-to-end -end kind of digital solution for that. So we really came together to build um, and solve the individual investing problem. The big goal of retirement adequacy that every individual faces and more broadly as a society, and then applying technology and innovation in digitizing a completely offline experience with poor outcomes and high cost into a, a wonderful experience and better outcomes um, through lower cost, better advice, and better access. So that's really the genesis of Endow Us. And before we get into that a little more detail, I just want to stay with this, this question, this overall question of you know, we're, we're still in a position where the the existing industry, despite all of its resources, I mean, they know about all these things, they research, they talk about the same problems that you uh, that you just uh, elucidated. Uh, and yet, uh, it's still up to fintechs such as Dallas, uh, and your and your competitors to, to kind of mm -hmm. drive that innovation, make that change happen. I don't really see uh, global asset managers or the distributors who have even more at stake, I guess, with the status quo, uh, able to come up with these innovative things. The best they could do is maybe take a, a stake here and there. Um, wh why is that? Why, why do you think there's just this, this incredible logjam uh, on the, on the buy side industry? Well, I think there's two things. One is that, look, we have to separate the asset managers who are called the manufacturers of financial product, right? So they, they actually run the money as a fund professional money manager, as fund managers. So they, they build product and solutions, right? But they don't directly interact with the customer, the individual investor. Mm -hmm. uh, they are in, in this institutional business at, at large, right? And they have to go through an intermediary who are the distributors of funds. And normally that's banks and brokers. And you know we, we have fund platforms now um, yes. that distribute funds. Um, and then you have guys like Endowas who are financial advisory at, at heart, right? In the US, you have RIA models, which are independent financial advisory models. In Asia, unfortunately, that distribution of financial products is very broken. Because the traditional banks um, have dominated that segment, whether it's HSBC in Hong Kong or DBS here in you know, Singapore, you know, the banks really dominate the distribution of financial products, especially unit trusts and mutual funds which are the primary source of indirect investments. Um, and the market's not big enough like the US to have like ETFs and, you know, low cost options, passive options and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, fundamentally we have a problem because the most innovative players, you know, they've, they've tried to launch like target date funds, um, some kind of retirement research and solutions. But really that's the role in the US, especially and Europe and closer to home Australia, that's the role of a financial advisor. 
Yes. But in Asia, that role of a financial advisor is 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 largely non-existent. It's, it's taken on by a commercial bank who, whose primary job is to deposit, lend, sell credit cards, and they're not sophisticated in the business of wealth. Um, and same thing with private banks. They, their bi biggest weapon is actually leverage, you know, providing low-cost funding um, rather than really solving an individual's problem of preparing for the financial future, yeah. uh, personal yeah. financial planning, and all the things that are, are, are advisory in nature. So you have a massive dislocation, and then the distribution and the guys who are providing advice have massive misalignments. So there's there's no independent advice. Uh, there's no like you know there's there's a lot of conflict in the way funds are distributed or unit trusts are distributed. So you know the the, the inherent problems uh, that exist in the in the financial service industry, especially the wealth industry, is is something that is not going to change because the banks and brokers are making a lot of money mm -hmm. uh, through fees to charge to the individual, but they also get paid by the asset managers who are paying these distribution guys to distribute the funds. So yeah, the they're taking from both sides, which yeah. is something that in, in the developed markets regulation has changed. Or, you know, if the consumer is very highly literate in financial education, then they can be more discerning or push for change. But in Asia, I think that's also a problem from the demand side. So right. there's no pressure. And it is left to guys like us, you know, FinTech as we call it, uh, to really try to disrupt that business. Um, and so, you know, it's something that's unfortunate because they're not going to change because it's a very profitable fat fee business. Um, and it's, you know, trying to let go of that is very difficult for incumbents. So I, I think Endows is probably best known, I guess, your your version of, of the wealth tech offering started with uh, CPF in Singapore, connecting people to their CPF account. Because most people in in these regimes, uh, you know, myself in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, you know, I have uh, I, I have this pension pot. It, there's yep. some, it's basically a government mandated scheme, even if it's it's and in Singapore, it's run more or less by the government. In Hong Kong, it's it's distributed, but it's a mandatory scheme, yep. uh, and it's not connected in any way to anything else that I do. It's this mm -hmm. silo, uh, yes. and if I might have a brokerage account, I might have uh, an investment account or some funds or my bank account, um, but there's no communication between that. I can't have a holistic portfolio um, mm -hmm. that includes what's supposed to be a very key part of my of my retirement saving. Yeah. Um, so as a result, it gets ignored uh, mostly, and the service is bad. So uh, you know, what was the way that you found uh, whether it was a, a, a an, you know APIs and, and tech or or just getting the right people in the bureaucracy to sign off on things to be able to integrate mm -hmm. somehow your customers cpf holdings into you know a broader range of all their their financial activities yeah no it's, it's a fantastic point because our, our premise was that as an individual we need to have a holistic approach to our financial planning and preparing for our financial future um, and in Singapore, especially, and MPF in Hong Kong too, is a is a meaningful part. In Singapore, it's actually massive. It's thirty seven percent of an individual's income. Hong Kong much smaller, um, but nevertheless, it's a very important piece. And we wanted people to be able to see all of their finances uh, and their monies um, from the different funding sources. And so, in Singapore, we have the cash, personal savings, or private wealth. 
we have CPF, and we have something in, the, in between, which is SRS. Um, so all three, we wanted to make uh, a, create a holistic approach to wealth. Um, in order to do that, we needed to build a technology stack. So it was all in-house. It was built for purpose for CPF. And we reverse engineered from the current regulations, the current pipes and structures and design and regulatory frameworks, and figured out how can we build this in the right way. Now, it wasn't like the recent EMPF in Hong Kong, where it was commissioned by the government and you have a tender and PCCW1, you know, that kind of process. It was really us coming to the government of Singapore, the Ministry of Manpower, CPF and MAS and saying, hey, this is what we want to do. And this is what we think we can do. And this is what we're building. Is this okay? Is this going to be, you know, something that you guys will allow us to do? And so it was an iterative process. And it was a true venture. It was a startup venture, like, you know, bootstrapped with our own money, um, yeah. without any like product market fit, like immediately. Um, it was a vision that we went after because of those goals that we had to solve an individual's investing problem, um, to solve the distribution of financial product problem, uh, to solve the, you know, the pension and retirement adequacy problem. And CPF, because it's so front and center, we said, let's go after this. It's a massive moat business as well and humongous opportunity, addressable, obtainable market. Um, so we just built from scratch a bill-for-purpose technology stack that end-to-end -end would seamlessly give an individual an experience from onboarding, investing, you know, everything else in between statements, reconciliation, everything and pipe into the government. So the government is, there's no API. It's our basic like full stack. And we've just gotten the approval from CPF and MOM, the government to implement this. So we were approved as the first digital advisor for CPF. And as a result of that, we have a fully integrated wealth tech stack that can manage all of your source of funds. And we built it as a truly flexible cutting edge wealth tech stack. Um, and you know, now it's portable to Hong Kong. Uh, we have to like, you know, like localize it to the Hong Kong's right. needs. And MPF is a different flow, different design, different pipes. Um, and EMPF is coming, so we'll match it to that. But we want to build something that manages your personal savings, your private wealth, short-term liquidity, long-term liquidity, long-term investment, your MPF, and your also, for example, or your private pension. Mm -hmm. And just manage it seamlessly together so that's the ambition of hong kong and that's what we've achieved already in singapore how how deep is that competitive moat uh you said you're the first uh and digital onboarding so how many other people are now doing this in in singapore and you know i think hong kong will also be a different a different, yeah, hong kong is a different structure with the trustees and it's a much more open platform kind of structure and empf is being built as an open platform in in singapore the government only approved uh, had three approved investment administrator which is a fund administrator mm -hmm. and everything every investment has to go through one of these guys so it's ifast fund super ifast navigator which is owned by singlife and it's philip um philip securities, philip securities. Right? capital right those were the existing incumbent CPF investment administrators. We, we wanted to introduce a new distribution framework of no commissions, no sales charges or mutual funds, 100% um, trailer fee rebate or retrocession rebate for any fees that we receive so that we can remain truly independent. And it's the first of its kind, uh, especially for CPF. And so 
you know, we needed to get an investment administrator who would work with us. None of the incumbents would work with us. So we went to a new player and the government had to admit a new player to enable the technology. The fourth player. Fourth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is UBKN, our partner. And, um, I, I, you know, previously they had applied and the government didn't feel a need for a fourth, but because of the endowed business model of a low cost, you know, investment option on CPF, they approved UOBKN, uh, we built the tech stack. And, you know, the moat is absolutely a huge moat because it's it, it took us two years, mm. um, millions of our own money invested as a bootstrap company to build that out in the right way. Um, it is possible for others to build, but no one has bothered to build it. Maybe once we scale, others may follow. Uh, none of the other robos are able to do it uh, because of the unique way we approach the regulatory framework. Uh, and as a result, we're the only digital player, independent player to be approved. Uh, DBS or IFAS, other guys can do it, but it just doesn't feel like for them it's a priority because in a way, they will be giving up a lot of fees in order to enter this market. And we've already priced it at the lowest uh, possible uh, you know, offering. And so uh, we've worked with the CPF to, you know, price it in the right way. Uh, we actually have exclusive offerings. Some of the lowest cost passive index funds are only available on the endowed platform for CPF. Um, and we've introduced solutions that are not available elsewhere. So we have a, a lot of modes. The biggest one is technology. The next is access to products. And then obviously the cost. Right. Um, how big do you have to get uh, before you start to scare the other people and make them think maybe they may make them regret not go going into this more quickly. Well, it's 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 one of those things, Jane, that is 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 a chicken and egg situation, right? Because mm -hmm. um, if they already have businesses, which is the mutual fund distribution business, unit trust business, um, and it's making hand over fist because they take one percent or two percent of every fund on an annual ongoing basis. Right. And we're only charging 30 basis points to buy a mutual fund or 40 basis points um, investing in your CPF. Um, and the fund itself is half the price or one third the cost of buying it through a, a bank or a fund supermarket. Then there's no way they can compete with us mm -hmm. almost ever without giving up all of their profits. Or, and, and they're a high cost structure. They're offline, they have branches, they have people in every branch selling these unit trusts. And we're a digital player, digital first, on an app, low cost. We have 10 client advisors advising hundreds of thousands of clients uh, in a hybrid model. And they just can't compete. So in a way that they will be giving up business um, and they may be okay with it. Because in the big scheme of things, it may not be a, a priority for them, uh, even if it's a business opportunity. Um, and they probably won't be able to compete with us. On cost. Okay. So how big are you now? What's what can you give us some metrics and user and AUM for for Dallas? Yeah, I mean the big picture numbers um have been released. So over 150,000 clients um in Singapore and Hong Kong uh, on the digital platform. And we have over five billion dollars US in group assets. Mm -hmm. Um so it's the digital platform in Singapore and Hong Kong, plus uh we acquired a um EAM, external asset manager, multifamily office called Career Private. Um, so combined group assets is 5 billion is what we've announced. So okay. we've scaled quite well. Um, every quarter we, since our beginning, uh, even on the digital platform alone, we've never had a negative growth. Every quarter has been an up here, uh, up quarter sequentially. 
not year on year, Q on Q has been a growth uh, trajectory. Even throughout last year, we continue to grow uh, net new money, total assets, revenues. So we reached peak assets, peak revenue every single quarter. 2Q23 was a blowout quarter for us. So uh, we have good momentum uh, of growth. Um, and, um, you know, we feel like there's a unique generational opportunity to seize this digital wealth uh, business yeah. opportunity. And and does that growth also equate to profitability? I mean, given the fact that you're so low cost? Uh, yeah, I mean, we priced it to scale. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a scale business. We need to get to a certain scale. Um, but obviously, we have um, heavy investments in talent and technology. Those are the two things. We spend on nothing else except talent and technology, and they're, they're related as well, right? Um, and all of that cost is upfront expensed. So we built a tech stack for CPF that may last us 20 years but and grow grow into that, but we've expensed it up front and we keep expensing everything. Yeah. So it's like the Amazon model, right? Um, you, you're making a loss, but your cash flow is improving. You're growing tremendously. And it's that balance between, hey, how aggressive do we go that we're seizing a unique opportunity where we're scaling very rapidly and no one else can follow us. Now we are, you know, for example, guys, robo-advisors who started maybe three years before us are one-fifth our size, you know? So we're definitely dominating here in Singapore. We're way ahead of everybody else. We've overtaken and we were way ahead of everybody else as an independent digital wealth platform. And we're probably the biggest in Asia now, uh, by far, I think. Um, so we've scaled in the right way. And is this the right opportunity for us to, you know, in a way, invest to grow or do we scale back? So last year was a difficult year for all of us. Markets were tough. Growth was slowing a bit. And we, we, we definitely had to manage costs, whether it's marketing or, you know, headcount and et cetera, investments. But this year, we feel much more confident. And I think our shareholders have backed us. New investors have come in uh, with this fundraise, which gives us, you know, three years runway, um, a lot of uh, commitment. Um, and we were heavily oversubscribed. So we know that there's a lot of belief in what we're doing and how we're executing. Uh, yeah. So we feel that there's an opportunity for us to continue to grow a bit more aggressively, even though we lost making. And that will get us to profitability faster. So we think part of profitability is very clear, maybe two years. Um, Singapore alone, standalone, will be profitable a little bit earlier. Um, obviously, new markets will have to invest and grow to scale as well. What's the... Uh, what I guess what was the key part of that narrative? Because right now the climate for for all kinds of startups, uh, if they're based on not making money but just growing eyeballs, VC subsidized yeah. businesses effectively. Obviously, for for many businesses that that crashed and burned a while ago. Yeah. Um, so what was the key thing that enabled you to to have a successful fundraise, even though you are maintaining that you know we need to grow it and profits come second approach. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think we have a very strong um, investor base, existing investor base. So existing shareholders have been uh, very supportive in this round as well. So UBS, the biggest private bank in the world, Lightspeed, Global Ventures, um, Singapore's government's uh, global investment arm, EDBI, Process Ventures, uh, which, own, which is owned by NASPERS, the biggest shareholder of Tencent, you know, Singtel Innovate, biggest retail distribution in Singapore. These are some of the shareholders that we've had and they've come back in with very strong support because they really believe in what we're doing um, and the mission and vision of the company, but also because we're executing so well. Um, so they, they've come in and very supported us very well. I think um, venture capital funding is difficult 
and it's it's not an easy environment, uh, especially when it comes to valuation. Um, and so, you know, the other problem that we face, though, is I don't think people really understand how differentiated we are because people think, oh, in Dawas, it's just another robo, you know, how's it really different? But there's so many things that are truly unique to what we built. So the technology is completely different from everybody else. We have the public pension piece. We're the only digital platform that does private wealth and public pension, which is unique. We've really gone into the private wealth space with private markets and alternatives where we have exceptional solutions and uh, products that target you know, different segment of the market. That's very unique. Um, we have the AM business, which is a profitable business that is unique. Um, and all these things that are truly unique uh, to, our, to our business. Um, and I guess the fund distribution platform, which is very unique as well. It's not a typical robo solution. So despite all that, did you have to accept some, I mean, was this, um, we've seen deals that in recent months have been uh, essentially down rounds, but they will keep the headline, uh, but there might be covenants in the back. Um, you know, was, was this a, you know, were, were your investors quite aggressive in terms of the terms? Did you have to um, accept, accept yeah. something difficult on, on this one? No, we haven't had a down round uh, in our history. And this round was actually a convertible. Mm -hmm. And we feel that the convertible, you know, the range of outcomes, the floor and um, cap of the, uh, of the convertible will allow us to have another up round. So we feel that, um, you know, we've been, and, and we've grown tremendously. Organically last year, we grew 80%. This year to date, we've, you know, grown more than, you know, 60, 70% in terms of assets. Revenue is probably higher. So, you know, we're we're in a, and I, I mentioned every quarter is peak assets and peak revenue. So it's difficult to have a down round when you have good momentum. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the valuation multiple has compressed in the public markets and maybe we would have been valued much higher and maybe it would have been easier to price around this time in a normal environment or, or a bullish environment like 2021. But we're okay with that. We're really in this for the long term. We're not hungry for valuation. We're not trying to push valuation aggressively. Uh, and we didn't do that when markets were bullish either. So we were much more tempered. Um, and people came with us with term sheets with really high valuations. We didn't take it from them. We took it from the guys who are actually going to strategically build the business with us and contribute us to our success. And really, if you look at our cap table, it's a lot of dominated, it's dominated by a lot of permanent capital. Right. So apart from light speed. Really, every other capital, whether it's UBS, EDBI, government, or process even, uh, and city and MUFG this time around, or family offices, it's really permanent capital who are actually very knowledgeable about the wealth business. There are strategic angles where we can benefit from the, those shareholdings. And it's, um, you know, it's very purposely built cap table. Um, yeah. And as a result of that, we haven't had to compromise on valuations. What's the role of those family offices? So I noticed in your when you announced the the raise that you in, in addition to, to City and MUFG, you also mentioned uh, four Asian families uh, backing this round. Um, is that uh, is there a a piece to your business strategy where you know that's going to be an important uh, factor where you're looking to add product or add service that's more geared toward either high net worths or do something yep. for the the family office sector? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, broadly, when we talk about the wealth tech space, people, you know, include things like Robinhood, you know, some people even include crypto, uh, but we're a very different breed. So uh, we don't have any trading um, on our platform. 
So no stocks, no individual names, no single securities, no crypto. It's all like indirect investments as well. Um, so it's fund vehicles, whether it's passive index funds or money market funds for short-term liquidity or active funds, you know, that try to generate alpha or private market alternatives, hedge funds. It's all actually indirect professional vehicle, pro professional investment vehicles. So that's unique, but also we invest for the long-term, right? So um, really our digital platform is mass market. It covers affluent, um, maybe early endows private wealth, as we call it, early high net worth. But the digital first option is not something that is viable for a high touch, private banking, disrupting, high net worth, ultra high net worth business. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the acquisition of Caray becomes really important. But because the technology stack and the solutions on top of it and the advisory service is institutional grade. Um, and by institutional, I mean like endowments, like Yale Endowment, David Swenson kind of like institutional quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a, that's where the name comes from, actually, endowment investing for all of us, like institutional endowment investment for all of us. And if you build it to institutional grade, then the single family offices, multifamily offices, EAMs and B2B financial advisors, we actually charities, nonprofits, endowments. These are quasi-institutional clients that endow us can actually serve through our digital platform. We need a, a servicing center, right, that, you know, develops uh, and nurtures that segment of the market. Right. You and still need that relationship, that, that, yes. that human relationship management type of role. Absolutely. So I think that's still very critically important at this stage. I don't think we can do it with a digital-only solution. And so marrying that together is playing to the strengths of Endowas and playing to the strength of Carey. And these family office relationships are great because they also realize that Endowas for core wealth, they can outsource that to us. So single family offices and even multifamily offices are partnering with us to say outsource um, a centralized CIO office, you know, outsource CIO services, uh, the fund distribution platform because with the lowest cost way to buy a single unit trust or mutual fund because we've removed all the fees uh, and we've like gone to the clean share classes and also access to private markets on alternatives which smaller institutions don't get access to. So we launched a multi-strategy, um, you know, hedge fund, uh, diversified hedge fund solution that includes some of the biggest names, you know, out there. And that's a solution we de developed and solutioned uh, because of our unique capabilities and the investment office advisory capabilities. So those are services that we'll offer to a broader suite of high network clients directly, but through single family offices, through multifamily offices, financial advisors as well. How much of that of that business, uh, from a revenue and a fee perspective, can you capture? So, uh, if if I am a, a wealthy family or a you know have a a family and I I have maybe several private banks, mm -hmm. uh, and those private banks will provide me both investment services, uh, and then they'll probably also fetch for me uh, legal, trustee, legacy, philanthropy, yeah. art. Uh, uh, children, uh, wills, uh, all, all that stuff. Um, yeah. uh, and I suspect that um, that's probably where the real money is in, in, yes, in these absolutely. things. Uh, plus, they also then will also have their corporate banking arms and their investment banking arms and their their yep. teams, right, that they can do things for the corporate side of the family as well. So absolutely. how, you know, you've got this one sort of, you've got the low cost bit of that offer right you've got just the um you know we can provide you with core passive exposure 
uh, you know, a little bit like this. Um, uh, and yes, you have now you've got some some hedge funds and some other capability. But are you able to, you know, how much of that revenue capture that the private banks enjoy realistically are you going to be able to actually get? Um, and yeah. you know, just you know, where do you see yeah. that going? So Indawa's digital platform is, and the fund distribution platform is effectively um, displacing the private banks. So we're, we're becoming a digital private bank uh, for core wealth, especially indirect investments, whether it's funds in public or private alternatives. We, we have access to a lot of solutions, more than 75 fund managers, global and local, um, private markets, alternatives, everybody um, that we're working with to build solutions with. So I think that that's, that critical element is, is displacing the di private banks. Mm -hmm. Increasingly though, a lot of people are leaving private banks and setting up an external asset manager or a multifamily office business that sits between the client and the private banking custodian uh, services. Right. And that layer is what the independent financial advice, advice business, you know, the RIAs in the US that proliferated uh, Europe and uh, Australia close to home. There's a lot of people in that layer, independent wealth services. And that's what Karay is. So we want to own both pieces of it because we feel that there's a massive opportunity um, in independent wealth advisory. In Switzerland, the home of you know, private banks, in fact, EAMs might, uh, now account for 30% of the total private banking wealth. In Singapore, that's 3%. In Hong Kong, it's 5 So we're very nascent in that development, but we already see a lot of people trying to leave private banks and setting up their own shops or coming together, setting up multifamily offices. And that's what Korea is. We feel that in Dallas family office is a multifamily office business EAM that can scale to massive opportunity that serves the client segment that we, I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. but it also requires in Dallas, the digital private bank, uh, not the family office service, but the digital private bank, the infrastructure and the solutioning for the financial products. And that's where we can actually serve not just Karay, but we build the right um, solutions and products. Then we can actually serve other multifamily offices and single family offices. And that's where the conversations have been very encouraging that these family offices actually see us as an important partner that would displace the private banks. So we'll take over some of the business that they currently have with other private banks and we will come in and service them uh, as, a, as a custodian service provider. So I think there's two opportunities that are quite different in nature. Um, and one where, you know, we've solved the digital solution here. I think in, even in the EAM private multifamily office, there's no technology, but we feel that in Dallas technologies can build something meaningful um, to improve the experience uh, and the solutions as well. And what's the long-term plan for in Dallas? Are you going to go IPO? I've been a public market investor all, like, all my life. I don't know why people want to do IPOs. Um, really <laughs> well, it's, you know, some liquidity. people have to get paid, right? I mean, uh, yeah, liquidity. the only backers, you know, they got yeah, you know, a strategic sale also, you know, but, you know, liquidity event. Uh, we want to build uh, the, the, the first trillion dollar digital wealth platform in Asia. We think there's an opportunity for us to really scale meaningfully. It may take us, you know, not the next quarter, but the next quarter of a century but we're willing to uh, really commit for the long-term. And that's why having committed long-term permanent capital behind us, uh, a dedicated mission-driven team um, that is deep in and deep tech 
uh, critically important because it's not just about technology, it's about you know, understanding the pipes and solving the financial problems and the regulatory frameworks as well. Um, so deep in the deep tech and we have the right team that we're building and we're committed to building this out for the next couple of decades. So really committed to building it out. And yeah, who knows, maybe it's IPO, maybe it's strategic, but we'd love to just continue to building this out as we have done in the past five years. Well, Sam, good luck with it. And uh, maybe I guess I'll have to catch you like uh, what we'll to do this interview in another 10 years. <laughs> we can do it every year, James. If you okay, want. okay, all right. Yeah. That, 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 see how we're progressing on that 10, 20 okay. year plan. Okay. Yeah. All right, good stuff. All right, thanks for your time today, Sam. Thanks so much, Shane. Great to be here. Take care.